because you know any dispute just arises from misunderstanding yeah that's all and so that's the root of all disputes misunderstanding between two parties so the idea of having something in writing is to avoid that misunderstanding and sometimes when you put things in writing it brings up an issue that one person thought oh I thought it would work this way and the other one's going well no I've never done it that way of course it's going to work this other way but until you put it in writing and it comes to the attention of both parties then there may be a fundamental misunderstanding. Hello everybody and welcome to Show Love episode 6. My name is Ben, I will be your host and joining me across the table is Wendy Hampton from Horace Hampton Lawyers. Wendy, thank you for joining me. You're welcome. (laughs) So uh, Wendy, do you want to start us off with telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay, so my name is Wendy Hampton and I'm the principal of Horex Hampton Solicitors, uh, which is a boutique practice in Takapuna. Um, We do a lot of general practice, but we do uh, quite a bit of trust work. We do uh, property work of all sorts, which is residential and commercial property. We deal with estates. Uh, contracting out agreements that type of thing but we also do quite a lot of general contract work cool so I got Wendy on the show today um, to talk kind of all things legal and law and contracts um, because it's an area that creative business owners often leave by the wayside in terms of upskilling our knowledge around like we often get into business because people want to pay us for what we do and we sort of just start doing it and start taking money for doing services and kind of fly by the seat of our pants for most of the time and then next thing you know nearly 10 years have passed and we're you know own our own business and all that sort of stuff so um i thought it'd be good for to hear from uh, a lawyer about some of the things that you know, we maybe should perhaps think about should perhaps think about first or think of that sort of um, to have a bit of refresher on, you know, if um, if we haven't, you know, if we've been in business for a while. So um, I guess, do you want to maybe sort of start us off by talking about um, some of the areas that you find your clients are often needing advice and help on around um, running small businesses? Okay. Mm. Well, probably the first thing when you go into business to consider is um, the ownership vehicle. How? What? What is the the business? Is it going to be a company? Is it going to be? Is there going to be a trust involved? Mm. Or do you want to do this in your own individual names? And those things are really important to consider. And if you have it set up correctly from the beginning, then you'll have less trouble later on and it's always harder to change the arrangement later on as well because you've already established the business by that stage and then if you're going to reorganize everything it just takes a little bit of doing particularly from a tax point of view as well so really if you know you're going into business then if you can start off by talking to somebody and get some advice uh, how how am I going to structure this so most people will either be um, sole traders and just do things in their own names or they might form a company and the majority of people would form a company. Um, a company offers some a limited type of liability because as um, if you're sued uh, and you've, the business is in your personal name then obviously the person suing you is going to chase you personally and chase your personal business assets. If you have a company, it kind of puts a, I don't know, a hurdle up between you and the person suing you. However, with a company, that usually the business owner is going to be a director and shareholder of the company. And so as director and shareholders, you've got responsibilities in that company. And, and a director must behave in the proper manner. So it doesn't give you complete uh, ability to go and do whatever you like you still have to consider every time that when you act in a particular way as a director of the company you're acting properly and if you're not then you're still going to be liable so it offers some protection but it's not it's not going to mean that you're completely free of any liability mm. if you form a company yeah is there any other benefits as opposed to sort of from um, sole trader versus limited limited company? Um, well, one of the benefits might be the shareholding of the company because if you've got, you, you can change the shareholding of your company relatively easily. So um, you can keep the same name. So if you're in business and, and you have a company name, underneath that you've got the shareholders and you can change the shareholders 
you know, whenever you want to. So the actual control in the way of the ownership of the business can change without having to change the name of the business. So the company can continue, but the shareholders may change. So it gives you some flexibility. And particularly, you know, in a successful business, you may want to um, do some income splitting. Now, you know, I'm not a tax expert and you'd need uh, advice from an accountant. but basically, if you if you have a trust, for example, you may have some of the shares in your business owned by the trust, which means that some of that income can be passed through to the trust mm-hmm. and doesn't just belong to the individuals. So it gives you lots more flexibility if you've got a company um, to just sort of tweak and change the way in which you do own the business. So the flexibility is one of the advantages of having a company. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the questions I had around shares was... Um, from talking with some friends of ours who some of which are like husband and wife teams and then others who aren't but each um, person owns their own company um, I've heard that some people have like 50% shares in the other person's you know like um, you know I might have 50% shares in my company and my wife Michaela might have 50% shares Um, what would be the advantage of doing so that's so when it comes to um, paying income mm. or dividend distributions, those are paid to the shareholders. Mm-hmm. So you might have a shareholder who is on a lower tax rate, so it might be advantageous to pay the dividends or the income out to that particular shareholder because mm-hmm. their tax rate is lower. Um, and it might be an advantage for that reason, yeah. And also, I think you know, the, you got to remember the actual the directors act on the uh, instructions of the shareholders. The owners of the business are the shareholders. Yeah. So even though the directors are the ones that sign all the bits of paper, it's the shareholders that own the company. Um, so that's it's usually often about income splitting. To be honest, yeah. Yeah. And like for example, I'm I currently own. 100% of the shares of my business so I'm both the director and the sole shareholder so mm-hmm. I'm just talking to myself around yeah. you know that's, um, that's fine. and so long as you've got um, things in place that should something happen to you mm-hmm. that we know where those shares are to go in the event of your death for example yeah. um, and how the company is to continue in the event of your death because there's nobody else yeah. immediately to step in because you don't have another shareholder or director so you just need to make sure that in the paperwork around your affairs you've kind of got that sewn up that you know where the shares are to go and who's going to take control of your business in the event of your death mm. interesting uh, okay um there's one other thing around um sort of shares and business ownership it was oh yes um say there's someone listening now who's maybe um just got into shooting weddings um and has been doing a bit of second shooting and stuff and is operating just as a sole trader and they think they're ready to you know um you know go 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 full time um and sort of start shooting their own weddings would you advise that they if they're looking to kind of go from part-time wedding stuff to going full-time would you consider that to be the time to start a company or just to con- c- continue on as a sole trader for um, a probably form a company at that stage yeah. because i mean entirely up to the individual but if you form the company at that stage then you'll have everything in place because once you form the company you'll apply for um, you know an IRD number in the name of the company you'll start filing tax returns so it'll be a different arrangement Mm -hmm. but um, it means that um, now you're going to be working full-time in that maybe it's a good time to actually put everything in place that you think all you'll need for the future so I would suggest it's a good time it's a a good uh, point at which to make that change yeah everything in place yeah cool awesome all right um sort of was there any other kind of general um i guess legal or businessy things that sort of you find people are I think, um, you know, with with any small business, I think the main thing is is to get to, to talk to as many people as you can to start with and get some proper advice to start with just to make sure that you, you know what you're getting into and you know that you've got everything in place um, to start off the way you mean to carry on, basically. Yeah, that's all. 
Mm. Cool. All right. Well, um, I think now would be a good time to transition into talking about contracts, mm -hmm. which is one of your areas sort of of expertise. So um, I sent you my mm -hmm. uh, current contract for you to have a look through, and um, I thought we could maybe pick it apart. And you, sure. you've, you've, you've said that you've actually um, done a bit of a rewrite on it, so I'd love to sort of uh, talk through that now and... Um, you can tell me all the things I've done wrong. <laughs> okay. Um, well, it, mm. let's start with the good things. Okay. You've got something in writing. Yeah. Yay. Mm. So that's a good start. Yeah. Okay. Because a lot of people in business, when they're starting out, they actually don't have anything at it, all in writing to offer. It did take me a while to, to get one sorted. I did yeah. do a few years. Yeah, of, without. Without one. And that's not uncommon. But, but really, the problem is if you've got nothing mm. in writing, you're just relying on verbal agreements all the time. And it comes down to he said, she said, mm. if you get into a dispute or there's any issues. Mm. So, uh, yeah, 10 out of 10 for having something in writing. So that's excellent. Well done. Um, and it's not, it's not bad. The, the, the contract that you gave me, it was, uh, it's quite informal. And so I would, you know, what I would like to see is something more formal. And, um, and your agreement, it had the elements, the main elements, and obviously the things that you've come across as you've worked, you've kind of put them in there because the issues that you've had. I guess... Um, I guess if I was going to criticise it, it was probably just too informal and just and doesn't contain some of the th necessary elements that you'd expect to see in a contract. Mm. So we can, you know, we can put that right. Mm. Cool. So do you want to t talk through sure. some of the, um, the maybe point out some of the in informal okay. language and sort of sure. talk through how you would formalise okay. that? So I think um, um, the uh, agreement you gave me um, you've, you've called it a, uh, a contract of sort of services, which it is, which is fine. Um, it's not specific, though, to the parties. You've got the parties signing it at the end, but mm -hmm. it doesn't say at the beginning who you're dealing with. So I would suggest that, you know, obviously every time you enter into an agreement or, or agree to do offer these services to a client, that you have a contract that says who you are and who they are to start with. So you've got the parties to the contract at the, at the beginning, explains who you are. Then the next thing is a description of what you're doing. And again, I picked up what you from yours you had most of it in mm. there but basically I'd keep it simple and easy to read plain English as well mm. and not too not too fluffy yeah. so you know so you know uh, with yours you, I would say something like that your company will provide the services and describe what those are on a particular day so we know who you are who the client is what you're going to do for them and when it's going to take place and that's all in the first two sentences yeah. right so we've got some clear boundaries then the next probably most important thing is is payment. I mean, you know, that's the next thing you need to get out there and discuss with the client and have it clear what the basis of payment is. And I think that, you know, the contract needs to say what the full price is, what people are expected to pay. And then I think most businesses, such as your business, would want a deposit. So perhaps you'd put the full price and then you'd say that a proportion of it, 10% perhaps, mm -hmm. is payable on a certain date. And then you need to perhaps put the balance is payable yeah. on another date, on something else happening or a particular date. So it's quite clear how much it is, mm. how much the deposit is, and when the balance is due. So those sure. would be the next most important yeah. things I would imagine. And then I think the other thing is, um, which people sometimes forget about, is that um, if clients don't pay, then what are your provisions for collecting that money? So I think most contracts, such as this, you, even if it hardly ever happens, you should provide for interest that you can charge on the unpaid amount. So set a time period, maybe seven days. Mm -hmm. If it's not paid on the due date, you give them seven days, and then you'll charge a certain percentage interest on the unpaid amount. Mm -hmm. But then to go one step further on that, you probably need to also say that if you have to engage somebody else to collect the money, that any of the costs that you incur in collecting money can be added to the amount that the client owes you. Because otherwise, when you engage somebody to collect the money, they're going to take a percentage of the amount they collect, yeah. and that's coming out of what you would do. But if you add that into your contract, mm -hmm. that they will pay that in addition, you're entitled to collect that. Without that clause, you can't collect that extra money. Yeah. So those would probably be the, most, the, the, mm -hmm. the sort of upfront things that I'd say that need to be in, involved mm -hmm. in your contract. One thing around the the money because, um, and around payment dates and stuff, um, because for weddings in particular, it's quite common to have, um, say, full payment due by the wedding date itself, sure. but then you haven't necessarily c c 
completed all the services by then. So is mm. is there anything around like um could we get into trouble around like um locking people into contract around paying for a service that we haven't like cuz cuz like if mm. like part of the service is filming but then part sure. of the service is editing and the editing doesn't get done till after everything's already mm. paid for. I think if it's clear in your invoicing what mm. you're actually charging for then um you shouldn't have a problem um actually saying that this includes the edit the post wedding editing or whatever you would mm. call it but you could put that in the contract yeah. and say that, oh, that it's all included so from the client's point of view they know they're not going to get another bill which yeah. is an advantage for them mm -hmm. they know that they've paid for everything yeah. when they pay that final account mm -hmm. and i think that's probably a good thing from the client's point of view otherwise unless of course you want the ability to charge more afterwards and you'd have to handle that slightly mm -hmm. differently in your contract if you're yeah. saying it's in the full amount then it has to be the full amount you can't yeah. go and probably charge more afterwards yeah. unless you put in that the exceptions you know mm -hmm. so you need to be explicit i think in what you're actually billing for yeah. and you should be fine cool. mm. okay that was that's good to know mm. i think the mm. other thing i i considered when i was looking at your contract was you know the cancellation process mm -hmm. you know um what sort of time frames people can cancel that's both you and them and then the money what happens to the money you know is it a full refund up to up to a certain period of time mm. um or do they get a percentage of the money back if it's you know I don't know, you'd have to work out what how it works for your industry. Mm -hmm. You know, how much have you been inconvenienced if they cancel at the last minute as to opposed to cancelling 30 days out yeah. from the, the date of the wedding. Mm. Um, but... Because um, for the wedding industry, 30 days is still the last minute, basically. Yeah, Because so. no one's going to be looking for a videographer a month out from their wedding. No, it's sort of like right. six months is mm. more like, okay, we could still book someone if we've got six months lead-in wow. time um yeah. but i mean yeah if, if it's just in the contract it's in, in it's stated and or, everybody's, yeah, agreed, and everybody's agreed then yeah. um it's going to be a lot easier for you mm -hmm. to enforce that so if it's not in a contract it hasn't been signed off and you're trying to mm -hmm. to recover that it might be difficult mm -hmm. or if they're saying well they're entitled to a full refund and you're saying mm -hmm. well no not really yeah. if it's in the contract and they agreed to that at the beginning you stand a much better chance cool. of getting it yeah cool just because with weddings in particular it's is often quite unusual timeframes. Mm. You know, you've got people booking you 12, 18 months right. out from when the services are going to be taking place. Like I've had my accountants emailing me going, are these invoices still like right. all right? Are they still are they still going? Like, yeah, yeah, they mm. you know, they're just clients who booked like two years out right. um, and stuff. So like, the, I guess my question is, there's like a, a judge or whoever isn't going to look at a contract um, that says, you know, um, they don't get any money back um, if they cancel, you know, 30 days out and go, well, that's completely unreasonable and void the contract or whatever. Yeah. Well, I, I, I can't speak for what a judge would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and every situation is different. Yeah. Um, but the starting point is that if you've got it in writing and that's what's been agreed and in principle it's not unreasonable mm. and you're not asking people to do something that's unreasonable then um it should be enforceable but as it does come down to the particular situation at the time and if somebody challenges you on it then it would re it, it really depends on what a judge thinks is fair and you know this then you'd look to case law and see what other sorts of decisions in this type of industry and, mm -hmm. and what decisions have been made so even with a contract you can't guarantee a hundred percent but you stand a better chance yeah. of getting the result you want because mm -hmm. it's been agreed yeah um so and you know and and it's been explained to both parties yeah. what's what the situation will be under certain circumstances and you've always free to amend your contract of course mm -hmm. you know if you've got a particular client that says well i'm not happy with that i don't want 30 days or mm -hmm. i want i want you know yeah. something different yeah. and if that you're happy with that mm -hmm. then you can change your contract yeah. it's just because you have a standard contract mm -hmm. that you use every time you have the every deal is a different deal so yeah. you can make those changes as you yeah. think fit and, you know, you might have some unusual requests where people want you to travel 
somewhere or mm. and you've already or you've had to expend money up front mm. that you would expect those you know to those mm. expenses to be reimbursed and I don't know you know you don't in your um, agreement you had you didn't deal with expenses and I wasn't sure about whether expenses are something that you need to cover off in your contract or not you know the money mm. that you spend up front I'm not sure yeah. that happens yeah because I usually itemize that um, just as an extra like item on the invoice, right? But you'd ex- but even if they don't go ahead, those expenses you've expend you have made, you'd expect to recover, wouldn't you? So, mm. so maybe they need to be clear, clearer that those expenses are definitely non-refundable. Well, and you put that as a money that in the you've spent. Yeah. yeah, so you might put that in as a separate thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so some of the other things I looked at in mm. the in the contract uh, were things like your copyright ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, confidentiality is another one, um, and probably things like um, um, where liability lies and dispute resolution. Those are probably some of the main points, but which you'd expect to see in any kind of contract. Um, now, you know, I would. My understanding is that you would want that the the film that you mm-hmm. produce whether that's you know stills or video yeah. whatever that you would want to control that that mm-hmm. it's yours so you know you probably would need to specify that in your contract that that belongs to you mm-hmm. you and i think you know in your um agreement you gave me ben you talked about the client having permission to use that material with certain conditions mm-hmm. and that's fine so i think if you put, put them in the contract so it's clear that yes they can use the material but it's only for their friends and family and they can't sell it and you know if they make any alterations your name comes off it because you don't want to obviously to throw any altered material mm-hmm. to be viewed as yours so spell it out in the contract that that's the understanding and i think around the other thing around that the filming as well i thought was interesting reading your contract mm. was um you know about third parties taking photographs and getting in the way when you're mm. trying to do your job mm-hmm. and i think that's a really good thing it's a specific thing to your industry where you've got everybody happy snapping on their phones um that you put it in your contract that if if that if that um inhibits your ability to take photographs then you're actually contracting out by saying to your client Mm. this isn't going to be my fault if I actually can't Mm. so I think it's really good to point it out because the client may not have thought about it and then the client can actually say to all their guests can you please just Mm. stay out of the way of my professional photographer yeah and I think that's really good you've spelt it out and um, move shifted some of the liability to the client to make Mm. sure they've told everybody so again spelling it out is a really good thing um and I think also I noticed that you sometimes have technical and location issues. And again, by putting mm. it in the contract that you've you've acknowledged and recognised that might occur, yeah. then you've made the client aware that sometimes it's not always possible to capture the exact shot they wanted mm. because you can't do it at that location. Yeah. And also you've in you know making the client aware that if they want something special, they might have to clear it with the location themselves before mm. you get there. Yeah. So all good stuff, and all put it in the put it in the contract if it's important. Put it in the contract. Yeah, cool. Because yeah, there's I mean one of the big things for um, videographers is audio because we're often um, required to use whatever sound system and stuff. Um, or or um, the, either the venue supplies or the DJ supplies yeah. in terms of plugging into microphones or sound desks and stuff and we kind of just go well we'll get what we can but yeah. you know it, the quality it, might not always it, be as good as you'd like exactly exactly yeah. you know venues don't charge the batteries in their wireless mics and yeah. so the, having that listed as a like it's not our fault that yeah. the venue's mic battery cut out mm-hmm. um but if that wasn't in the contract, well, would, would, would we be liable? Well, not necessarily liable, mm. but you could end up with a dispute. Yeah. So, and then somebody else would decide whether you were liable or not. Mm. But, you know, it would be, you, you want to avoid a dispute as best you can. So anything that's spelled out, they sh- it should hopefully be able to clarify whether you're right or they're right mm-hmm. um, because you've spelled it out in the contract. Yeah, so that's an advantage. I think um, the other thing is that, you know, the ownership of the, which I touched on, the copyright, mm-hmm. the ownership of it, you, you, I think, you know, if you want to be able to use that material, mm-hmm. 
um, then putting it in the contract's a good idea so that they, you haven't got any issues with the client coming back saying that you can't use the material for advertising or whatever mm. you might, or your own promotion. If you yeah. put it in the contract, again, the client's aware you might do that. And if the client's not happy with that, then it's up to you. Maybe that's something you strike out of that particular contract with mm -hmm. that client. Yeah. They, if you've got somebody who's a high celebrity person mm -hmm. or something that just really doesn't want you to use their material, yeah. then I guess that they can. you could agree between you to strike mm -hmm. that out of your contract. Might happen, I don't know. Yeah. No, I've, I've, I've had it happen before, not for so much of a celebrity, but for people who just aren't big on social media and right. don't want them... Um, you know, don't really want their face plastered around and stuff. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah, I kind of do that on a client-by-client -client basis. But And I think um, if it's in the contract, it's going to bring it up for discussion. Yeah. And that's the yeah. thing. It's not going to be a case of somebody forgot to mention it. Mm -hmm. If it's in your contract, uh, you can talk about it. And if they're happy, that's fine. If they're not, you can take it out. But you, it's not a case of there's no omission. It's been considered and thought of and you've made a decision around mm -hmm. it, which is the advantage of having a contract you can discuss. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. Um, so what else have I, um, I guess um, one of the other things I noticed was, you know, if you, what, if you can't perform mm. your obligations on the day, um, that I can see would be an enormous problem for the client. Mm. So by covering it off in some way in the contract is a good idea, because obviously, who knows, if you're booking weddings two years out, you don't know yeah. what your circumstances are going to be. Exactly. So um, putting something in the contract that explains that and says that, you know, if you can't do the job for some reason, you'll use your best endeavours. That doesn't mean to say if you use the word phrase, use your best endeavours, it means you're going to try your hardest. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean to say you're definitely going to do it because you might not be able to. Um, but it's, you're going to use your best endeavours to find another suitable person to step into your shoes to do the job for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and then if that's not possible, then in the contract you can cover off. If it's a full refund to the client, that might be all you can do. Mm -hmm. But, um, <clears throat> you know, again, if it's covered in the contract, um, if the client's really unhappy and they, you know, take you to the dispute tribunal mm -hmm. or try to sue you over it, at least you have something in your contract that said, well, this is what I'm supposed to have done. I'm supposed to have mm -hmm. used my best endeavours to find somebody. And here's the evidence. I really tried hard. Mm -hmm. I tried all these different people and nobody yeah. could do it. Then it would be, you can prove that you've done the best. You haven't simply just walked away from the contract and somebody says, well, that's pretty unreasonable. Mm -hmm. You should have done more than that. If you've got in the contract and you've followed that procedure, it's just going to help you if somebody's not happy, yeah. basically. Mm -hmm. And so if you... So you didn't have a contract or didn't have that um, line in your contract and you did say so you just, I don't know, on the way to the wedding, you're in a car accident, um, woke up in hospital the next day um, and you couldn't do the, the, the wedding. What would you be looking at in terms of if, if, if there was nothing in the contract or no contract around you not being able to perform services, what would someone be looking at in terms of liability and sort of to sue you mm. I guess I mean I guess if even with a verbal contract then you've made an agreement with them that you're going to mm. do something um, then they would if they tried to sue you at that point they would we're, we're dealing with a verbal contract so it's not going to be easy for them either because mm. so he says she says yeah. kind of situation yeah. or we'll say there's okay so we'll say there's a contract okay. in terms of a contract of services but mm. there's no clause around, around what happens if you aren't able to do okay. it okay mm. so then I guess they will try and sue you. Mm. Um, do I'm not sure what the practice is in your industry, but do you have kinds of insurance to cover situations like this? Do you have some sort of uh, public liability I mean, type insurance? I have. I have public liability insurance, but I use it mostly for commercial stuff that I've been required, like for shooting an advert um, right. um, and stuff. I've required to have personal, um, sorry, pu public liability. Um, Maybe it's I'm, it's mm. not an area that I'm familiar yeah. with yeah. <clears throat> in the way of insurance, but I would suggest it might be something mm. that uh, is explored to see if you can get some type of insurance that mm. if you're sued, um, un under those circumstances, you would be mm. covered. But so, because this is, this is a sort of a scenario where someone's obviously not prepared, but um, I guess because we've... Um, there's so many horror stories online about, like... Um, brides who are either unhappy or whatever or the footage yeah. went missing um, and going after 
um, videographers and photographers for more than what the couple paid for. So rather than just like give oh, us our well, money back. That's right. They'll be looking mm. for um, damages, damages personal yeah. damages, because they can't replicate the wedding again. Yeah, yeah. So that's something that you, how do you put a price on that, a yeah. value on getting married it's supposed mm. to happen once yeah. so and if you've been let down mm. then um yeah then they, they could pick all sorts of emotional mm. um, upset kind of damages yeah. and then i guess the sky's the limit there but yeah. it's for them to prove that they would be entitled to that mm. so then you would have to look to case law to see what sort of situations and what the normal kind of or what kind of rewards are made to people under those circumstances yeah. um so that's why if there is a possibility for getting insurance, it mm. would be a good idea to make sure that you had a big number yeah. to cover any possible mm. claims. If it's a smaller dispute, then it should be... I mean, most contracts would allow for, um, first of all, negotiation mm. in the dispute, then mediation, and then arbitration. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could just go to the disputes tribunal as well if it's a smaller claim. It's got to be a smaller amount you're claiming for, though, uh, for the disputes tribunal. So what would be a small amount for this? Under 10,000, I think it is. Okay. Yeah. I think if it's over 10,000, up to 20, you've got to have the consent of the parties. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's... Um, but a contract is better if you've got negotiation, mediation, and then probably arbitration. You've mm-hmm. got to... Because hopefully you can resolve something, if not by negotiation, then by mediation. Much better than going through any other kind of process. So does mediation mean just talking between... Yeah, and you probably appoint a mediator. You could appoint a mediator. Arbitration is more like a court process. Okay. Um, Although you can put in your contract you have a single arbitrator, and usually in a contract we'd say that their decision is binding, so you can't appeal it anywhere else after that. Okay. Your decision has to be reached by So who would be a single arbitrator? Yeah, so a single person, so but it's a more formal process. Yeah. We're more like a court process, and the arbitrator is the judge. Okay. So you each have to come up with your evidence, and you might have your representatives. Mm-hmm. So it's very much arbitration like a court process. Mm-hmm. Mediation is more about sitting around a table with an independent person to help resolve it for you. Mm-hmm. And obviously negotiation is probably just talking between yourselves. Okay. So that's kind of so, roughly how it works. Okay. So you start by yeah. trying to work it out between yourselves. Yeah mediation get somebody else to help yeah but basically have a contract <laughs> and have insurance so that you can yeah. insurance yeah so yeah. that you kind of covered off yeah. um i think that um you know you need you want to be trying to avoid a dispute at mm. all costs really yeah you know um and so the more you've got spelt out the better yeah and it's clear mm. um other things that need to go into a contract are you know what if you want to um, transfer this job to somebody else, assign mm-hmm. it to somebody else? You know, do you need a clause that covers that kind of thing? You perhaps need a clause that says in the contract that this written contract is the entire agreement and that any verbal agreements that you've had really uh, are not important anymore because you're going to just rely on the written contract, which means if you have made a verbal agreement about something, it needs to be put into the contract. Mm-hmm. Um, because anything that goes before the contract can't be brought in as part of the negotiations, really. It's what you've agreed in writing. Yeah. And sometimes we put in these clauses or in a, in a contract that says that if one part of the contract fails, it doesn't mean the whole contract fails. Mm-hmm. So you've got one issue, say there's an issue around the deposit, uh, and that it's decided that the way in which that was dealt with in the contract isn't right, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean the whole contract's going to fail. It's just that particular clause that's going to fail. Okay. So we often put something in around that as well. Okay. Um, notice provisions. Um, if you're going to say, like if these people want to cancel or you want to mm-hmm. cancel, how are you going to tell them? The agreement should say how it's going to happen. And probably most things happen by email these days. Yeah. But the, the risk around email, and which has to be quite clear, is you can send an email to somebody, but they may not receive it. So you have to be quite clear on that. So mm-hmm. my view is if you're going to use email as a notice provision, that notice should only be considered received when the recipient acknowledges receipt. Because okay. you could send an email and the person's away for two weeks, well, until you've had a confirmation from them they've received it, should the 30 days run from the time you send it or the time they receive it? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, in my view, to be clear, it should be the day they receive it. So if you've sent notice and you haven't heard that they've received it, I'd be following it up yeah. saying, have you received my notice? Have you received my notice? Mm-hmm. And then the day they say yes is the day the, the 30 days or whatever it is starts yeah. to run. Yeah. 
because otherwise you could run into trouble around that because somebody will say, well, I never got the notice. Yeah. You sent it to the wrong, you know, or yeah, you'd have or to have sent it to right. Or I've been away or, yeah. you know, or it went to the wrong person or whatever. Mm. So I would suggest if you're using email as mm. notice, it's that you need the recipient to acknowledge receipt. Yeah. Um, you know, you can use other forms of notice, but mm. um, like actually physically serving a notice on somebody by delivering it to them personally, mm. um, or you can fax something. And uh, but faxes are not used so much no. these days. Especially um, for like, we as lawyers yeah. still use them because for a fax, it's the date you the date you send it is mm. the date that the notice provision runs. So from a lawyer's point of view, we actually have a certain date. So we mm. still sometimes use faxes. But I would suggest in your industry, an email is going to be more appropriate. But mm. you, that's why you need to be clear. When does the notice start to run? From the time you send or the time you receive? Yeah. The other person mm. receives it. Mm. Interesting. So I don't know. I'm just thinking whether mm. there was anything else. Um, was there any, any, anything around the... Um, the language you mentioned some of the flowery language in my in my old contract okay, in terms so of what you, you mean example? by that yeah okay. let's talk about what's okay, well, flowery okay so um i think something i chose here was um uh where are we so we've got um you know, if if the videographer is too ill or becomes injured or cannot supply the wedding services specified above and a replacement videographer cannot be found, then liability is limited to a refund, blah, blah, blah. So I just sort of cut that back mm-hmm. so that it was actually, you know, should the company be able to, um, uh, should the company be unable to perform its services on the wedding day, they'll use their best endeavours to find a suitable replacement. Cool. So, so yeah. I kind of cut to the chase a bit more. Yeah. We don't have to talk about whether you're ill or injured or what the circumstances yeah, were that you can't do the job. All, yeah, yeah. It's just if you're it's unable just, to yeah. perform your services. Yeah. So and that that covers everything. Then we okay. don't have to specify, you know, okay. car accidents or whatever yeah. they might be. Yeah. Um, it's just you're unable to. Yeah. And that could be any reason that you can't perform on the day. Um, and you know, probably. You know, you've got, however, there is an unlikely possibility that footage may be lost mm. or stolen. So, yeah, I get that you're telling me it doesn't often happen, mm. but I think it's much better to say if film is lost, mm. stolen or destroyed for any reason beyond the control of the company, the client will be entitled to a, a full refund or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, just if it happens, yeah. but rather we don't need to tell them it's unlikely because yeah. we hope it's... <laughs> we hope we it's really unlikely. hope it's unlikely. Okay. You don't, shouldn't have to tell them that. Yeah. Okay, so just, just tidying up a few... Yeah. Um, just the language a little bit to okay. make it a little bit more professional perhaps mm-hmm. cool. um, but that's probably what I mean by that yeah. Um, um, yeah. Um, was there anything else I thought I don't know I mean obviously a contract can be varied but if you're going to vary it the variation is to be in writing mm-hmm. so again everything's in writing all the mm-hmm. time so it's quite clear that yeah. there's no um, misunderstandings um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I did cover off on this thing about, you know, that the, the client agrees that you're given precedent over any other third parties taking photographs, which I kind of yeah. touched on. But it's just, um, again, you can spell out that you won't be liable if you, you know, having to dodge around grandma mm-hmm. who's trying to take a photograph with her phone she doesn't know how to use, yeah. that, you know, you've, you've, you've got to be... Uh, the person taking the photographs, otherwise mm. you can't be responsible for what you, you're, you know, what you're going to end up producing at the mm. end of the day. There was okay, so there's uh, one question around that, which mm. has been coming up um, a little bit on some of the forums online, um, would be so um, around that whole third party thing, because as videographers, we're pretty much always working with other photographers who are different companies, right. different people. And if they have a clause around their contract around, um, like they may use wording like um, um, no, no, nobody else taking photos, um, which is different task because we're like filming. But if there's something, if they use wording around something like capturing images or something that could be okay. misinterpreted, yeah, am, am, ambiguous as to whether it's photos or videos, right. where does that um, yeah. So do you get the opportunity to see those contracts? No. 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 
So you probably need to know, if you're working with other professionals, mm. exactly, you probably need to know what those boundaries are because you're quite right. An ambiguous word like capture, mm. you could find that you've breached something that you are actually, yeah. um, could have a problem mm. um, because uh, it, you've agreed to not capture. It comes down to the definitions. So I think to avoid any ambiguity, the mm-hmm. um, specific things need to be described. In, in the contract I looked at for you, you use lots of different terms throughout the, the, the document. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of put a definition that film mm-hmm. meant stills, video, and whatever else it was that mm. you mentioned. but So I used one word, but I defined what that covered. Okay. So I think anybody who's using the word capture needs to describe what that means. Is yeah. it stills? What are they, what are they talking about when they talk mm. about capture? Mm. So you do you need to find out, yeah. I guess, if you're working with us. Yeah. And I guess just talking about working with others, if you, um, if you work with subcontractors or... Uh, obviously, employees is one issue. If, you, mm. if you're employing people, that's a ball game yeah. and you need to look at employment contracts mm. and all the rest of it um, but if you're working with sub, uh, independent contractors so you you get somebody to come in to do a specific job for mm-hmm. you on a particular time um, I would expect a subcontract an independent contractor to have their own contract that they offer to you which would say what the terms are that they're going to be uh, working with you mm-hmm. if they don't have a contract then maybe it's something you should consider having in your back pocket and say, look, I'd like you to come along and do this job as an independent contractor because mm-hmm. what you don't want is for somebody to turn around later and say, well, I, th- I actually thought I was your employee because that minute they say the word employee, yeah. you're responsible for their PAYE, you're responsible for holiday pay and all the mm-hmm. other things that go with employing people. Yeah. So to be clear that that person is an independent contractor, it needs to be spelt out, especially if you're using the same person a lot it could be viewed that actually it's an employee, not an independent contractor. Because because to make the definition between employee and independent contractor, a contract helps, but it also, if there's a dispute around what that relationship is, it the, the dispute looks at the relationship. Are you treating that person as an employee or are you treating them as an independent contractor? So... If you've got at least if you've got an independent contractor mm-hmm. agreement, you're, you're setting out those boundaries yeah. and you're saying to them, well, you're going to bill me, and I'm just going to pay you for this particular job on this particular day, and that we have no other further relationship. Yeah. So, but mm-hmm. it, it, yeah, and if it, the bigger you are, I suppose, the more likely it is you're going to be engaging other people to help you with your work. Mm-hmm. So those relationships need to be very clear. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Cool. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, because the idea of um, contracts with I mean it's I mean, it's in the name you should really I should have really been more aware of the fact that they would need a contract with me mm-hmm. um, but yeah it's something that I definitely haven't um, thought about up until now the idea the, the idea of having a contract for my contractors um, uh, it's always yeah. been quite an informal yeah and I think you know any the risk mm. with any informal relationship is that if there's a dispute or a miss because you know any dispute just arises from misunderstanding yeah that's all and so that's the root of all disputes misunderstanding between two parties so the idea of having something in writing is to avoid that misunderstanding and sometimes when you put things in writing it brings up an issue that one person thought oh, I thought it would work this way. And the other one's going, well, no, I've never done it that way. Of course it's going to work this other way. But until you put it in writing and it comes to the attention of both parties, then there may be a fundamental misunderstanding. You know, in your industry, I'm not sure it might be around who's paying the expenses. I don't know. But, you know, one person might always expect the expenses paid by the other and they're going, well, no, that's not normal. So if it's in writing, you should, again, it's to avoid any kind of dispute or misunderstanding is what we're trying to avoid. And the same with the contract with your client. It's to avoid any misunderstandings going further. It's quite clear what everybody is intending to do. Yeah. So that's that's the reason you have it in writing. Fantastic. Okay. Well, to finish us off, I guess, um, I'd love to have a little chat around um, that idea of understanding because, again, it's something that comes up on forums that I see a lot around people um, who have misunderstandings with their clients Mm -hmm. and they are often just referring back to their contract and say, oh, well, it's in the contract, so whatever. But 
how is it, how important is um i guess verbal understanding alongside a contract and making sure both parties are on the same page just on a colloquial verbal sure. standpoint well i guess you know i've got to mm. say that obviously that anybody before they sign any kind of contract should get some proper legal advice before they do so but i can see in a situation like this it's unlikely it's going to happen all the time but i think um that that talking through the contract with your client gives you the opportunity to expand on all of the clauses and explain in a practical sense so that's your opportunity to probably talk in the more flowery way and give examples about well what i mean is that if this situation arose then this is what the, this is what would happen so i think it's it's worth taking time to go through the contract with your client and and so that they can actually understand it and i would also suggest that you always give the client the opportunity to take the contract away and discuss it with somebody else so that they've actually you know there's no suggestion that they didn't really understand or that they were signing it in a hurry and they didn't think that that was what it meant you should always i would suggest say to the client well this is my standard contract this is what i would normally expect you to sign um please take it away have a look at it and if you've got any questions come back and then we'll go through the the points and make sure that we're both clear about what what our expectations are from each other on the day and for the whole process um mm. so because i think there's a lot of um i guess um like unconfidence from um you know videos videographers photographers other general you know um small business owners around locking in those clients those jobs around like not wanting to scare people off or bore them with mm, details yeah, and yeah. stuff like over you know, like you don't want to um feel like you're bogging people down to the point where it's like ah oh, this just seems to and then the, and then you lose that job like right. but what's you know how well, would you're you in a, you're in a business of mm. creating things it's a creative thing and yeah. and this kind of detail is very boring but um but it's really essential if yeah. you want to be sure that you're going to minimize the risk when it comes to disputes um and to have a happy client you know mm. so um, so yeah, you don't have to be too heavy-handed, but I think if you've got a good contract and you can put that forward to them um, as normal standard staff, that this is what they're agreeing to and this is what you're going to do for them, it's a two-way thing. This is what you're offering them and this is what they're agreeing to, um, and the opportunity to take it away and talk to somebody else about it. Because um, I'm sure when they're talking about the wedding, that's all they want to talk about is yeah. the wedding. They're not mm. really interested in the contract. But I think you need to say to them, look, it's really important that we, we there are no misunderstandings mm. and that we're quite clear what each of us are doing, yeah. you know. And then this, this is just my formal contract and you just need to have a look through it and mm. come back to me with questions and go and talk to somebody else about it, make sure we've covered everything off. Yeah. And do you have any sort of um, advice around, I guess, like keeping a happy client when talking through, you know, because contracts for in certain parts can be a little bit scary in terms yeah. of like especially when you're um mentioning like charging people interest if they don't pay yeah. you know how do you how do you keep a, a friendly atmosphere and a friendly relationship when talking through things like charging people interest i think i think that you would well because there are some there's some parts of the contract which are just the formalities you know like you know you're saying things that the um the contract you know, the, who the parties are just the basic form that you put in the contract so the things you're going to really discuss with the clients is more the detail and um and i think you just have to i would gloss over it i would say you know we expect a 10 percent deposit on you signing the contract and then the balance of the payment is due on the wedding day or the day before or whenever you ask for it um and we've got provision in here that if it's not paid on time we can charge penalty interest you know but you know you don't have to say and if you don't do that then we're going to do this that and the other but i think you can just sort of say you know we have a right you know it's in there if, you, if it's not paid on the time we have a right to charge interest um and you know probably i would have thought the more important things probably are all around 
the ownership or the fact, you know, mm. or the who can do what with the images. So I would have thought that was mm. quite a big part of what the discussion, because that I would have thought has to be very clear yeah. with the client mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that they are your images. Yeah. And if you've going to, you're going to permit them to use them, but what those conditions are, I would have thought, so I'd be picking out when talking to the client, those important parts, not the form of the contract or some of the detail, because yeah. you expect every client's going to pay. Yeah. So the interest thing is probably not something to focus on, but the fact that they can use the images under certain conditions is really important because um, I would have thought that that's a more essential term of this type of contract. So I'd focus on the essential terms. And you can always, um, you know, make notes as you go along of things that you discuss or... You know, if you're not putting them in the contract, any of the de- other details that might come up in conversation, if you've at least noted them down, then at least you've got something to back up what you said as well. So, um, yeah, I would have thought um, the problems, I'd be addressing the practical problems that come up, which would be people getting in the way, not being able to film where they want you to film, and what they're going to do with the images. Um, the other thing I just wondered about, which you know I thought about actually, was just whether you have any control over people at the wedding releasing the images before the official photographs are released. But I guess that's not mm. between you and the client. No, but and I, that's. But and I guess you yeah. maybe it's something you need to draw to the attention, and you probably yeah. do. Yeah, it's it, it's. I mean, it's it's probably more of a photographer issue because, right. um, especially if. Um, you know, brides are saying that this is my photographer that we use, right. and then they're posting, you know, auntie's cell phone photo, right. and people might get confused that oh, that's so and so's professional photo. Mm-hmm. So there definitely might be something for photographers to be mindful of putting in their contract around um, being clear that the couple aren't sort of mispromoting their their brand and their business around. You know and the I quality of images from the the bride and groom's position as well. They don't want the ugliest photos that one of their friends took being the first photographs to appear. Yeah, and I guess that might be a problem yeah. that comes I mean, up. But that's something yeah. they would address. I yeah, guess, at I've wedding. I've I've had that at weddings where MCs will say, "Make sure you don't you know post anything until the couple have posted their their photos." And yeah, it's yeah, it's a pretty so that's more of a thing. thing that the client has to deal with rather yeah. than something that you deal with. Mm. Yeah, but something interesting mm. for, for, for photographers to be aware of. For, for, for sure. Mm, mm. Cool. So I guess, you know, the main thing I would say is that it, it, my advice would be to have a written contract mm-hmm. because it basically sets out um, the understanding that you're both going to have with this mm-hmm. relationship in this particular job and will avoid uh, any misunderstandings. And I think that's what's the most important thing. Yeah. And then everybody should be happy. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, I think we might wrap it up there. Um, thank you so much, Wendy, for that. That was um, was really interesting and really um, good to get that refresher on those really important things, which you know, I think a lot of us do forget about when we shouldn't. Um, but yeah, if people have any uh, further questions or um, want to engage your services at all, where can they? Uh, where can they? Where, where can they? F- Find you. Yeah, I'm more than happy mm. if if people need to uh, give me a call. So you can email me. So my email is Wendy at Horrockshampton H O W R O C K S H A M P T O N dot co dot N Z, or you can ring the office on four eight double nine zero two nine. And I'm more than happy if you've got some questions, just to give me a call. Um, and I'm happy to talk to people for half an hour at no charge. It's not a problem. I'd rather see people getting it right up front than coming to me with a problem because they didn't have it right because that's that's going to cost a lot more and be a much bigger problem to solve. So I'd rather talk to you up front and make sure that you've got it right going in there every time with your clients. Cool. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. Alrighty. Um, yeah, we'll leave it there. Um, thank you so much again, Wendy, for c- coming on the show and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. <laughs>